Say praise the Lord. Welcome to week three of our series, Relationships Status. If you haven't been here, we are in the middle of a four-week series where we're dealing with relationships. The first week we talked about what love looks like, what it is, the components of love, because if you don't get love right, you can never hope to get relationships right. Last week, we started diving into our relationship with God because that's the most important relationship. And out of that, with Adam and Eve, they had a relationship with the Father, but then they had a relationship that He ordained. Somebody say yes. <laughs> he ordained their, their relationship, and, and that's where the trouble began. This week, I have a sermon that I'm going to call Covenants, Flings, and Friendship Things. We're going to deal with a whole lot. Uh, if you came thinking, uh, I'm going to go catch a short sermon, you came to the wrong church this morning. I apologize in advance because I'm going to deal with a whole lot of relationships this morning, a whole, a whole abundant supply of earthly, materialistic, and physical relationships. And before we start, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to pray. I know you've already prayed over the offering, but... Um, there's a couple things I want to pray about. Number one, it has been a long week. Uh, there's, there's been some uh, people in the church that's been greatly affected by the loss of a, a loved one. One of our longest standing members in our church, uh, Gary Conley, passed away. I know many of you, because we've grown so much since we moved to this building, many of you don't know him. You never got to know him. He's been sick for uh, a lot of years, and, and he hasn't been as active in the church as he used to be. But those of you that did know him, he made an impression in your life. And, and, and he was, he, and if, even if you don't know him, you know his family because we're still surrounded by his legacy here at Promise of Victory. So uh, he was my friend, and I'm going to miss him. The family's going to miss him. And so I want to pray for the Conley family. I know Sarah Martin, I didn't, I didn't see her, but her father passed away this past week too. There's been a lot of death in 2024. I said our word was advanced, and now I know why because uh, some of y'all just need the strength to put one foot in front of the other because there's been a lot of turmoil already kicking up, and, and the enemy is mad. And, and so uh, I, I would encourage you to hold on just one more day uh, because the Lord will give you strength for that day. Somebody say yes. So I'm going to have you pray for them. I'm also going to have you pray for yourself because this is one of those sermons where you're going to slough it off right now, some of you, in this room. You're going to slough it off and say, well, that don't pertain to me. And a year from now, you're going to slide into my messages. You're going to say, Pastor, I wish I would have listened when you were trying to warn us. So I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray for yourself that you will listen. I I didn't get one amen in this whole place. Like none of y'all want to listen this morning. I don't have one person in this whole room that's going to get knucklehead at you. Look at your neighbor and say, it might be you. (laughs) Okay, now we've covered all of our bases. Let us pray. Father God, we pray this morning. We pray for comfort and peace for those that have lost their family uh, members. Lord, we pray for Sarah Martin and and her family as they suffer through the same uh, ordeal that the Conley family is now facing. Lord, we've... uh, we, we can only depend on you, we lean on you, we trust in you, you are the God of comfort, you are the God of peace, and we ask God that you would supply those things to us when we don't have any for ourselves. God, we also pray this morning that every person that needs to hear this word, their spirit will be uh, prompted, their minds and their hearts will be open to hear exactly what it is that you want them to receive this morning. I believe you have ordained this word for this hour, I believe that you have brought people to this building today to hear exactly what it is is that you want them to hear. We place all of these cares in your hands, God, because we know that you care for our souls. And in Jesus' name, 
we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to begin this morning in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. If you don't know where Ruth is, it's an Old Testament book. There are only four chapters to it. It's a very short book uh, toward the middle of your Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do something special this morning. Jessica, you and Jaylen come up here for me and help me just in the beginning of service and just kind of come up here and, and kind of kind of stand. Lori, would you come up here too? Lori, yeah, would you come up here too? Jessica, right in the middle, please. Jaylen, I want you on this side, and Lori, I want you on this side, if you don't mind. Okay. All right, you, you're going to be standing there just a little bit, okay? Because, listen, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're talking about. You could be talking about friendships. You could be talking about family relationships. You could be talking about dating. You could talk about marriage. I'm going to be honest with you. Relationships can be both beautiful and brutal. And the more we learn about ourselves and the more we learn about one another, we can avoid some of the brutal and invite in the beautiful. Okay? So the book of Ruth begins with a story that's going to have all of these dynamics. It's got relationships that are friendships. It's got marriage. It's got relationships that are uh, family and those that are outside the family. A family had moved far away. They were from Bethlehem. It was a man named Elimelech. He had one wife named Naomi. Meet Naomi. Him and Naomi moved down to Moab, where they were not supposed to go because they were starving where they were. And as they went down to Moab, she had two boys. Those two boys grew up, became men, and married two women from Moab, Orpah and Ruth. Now, that doesn't sound like a problem until you realize that while they were away from God's best plan for their life, it took ten years while they were in Moab, why did I say they were away from God's best plan? Because God never wanted them to go there. God wants us to trust him in times of lack, not run away. Not run to other places to get our supply. They ran down to Moab, and these two boys married women from Moab. They weren't supposed to do that. While they were there, her husband, her husband, and her husband all die. And now... We have a woman with two daughter-in-laws, no husband, and no sons. Naomi hears that now there is bread back at home, back in Bethlehem. The famine has ended. And she says, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going I'm to spend the rest of my days in my homeland. And she tells these two daughter-in-laws, you should stay here. Find you men of your country. And because you're still young enough to have children. And this is their conversation. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. And verse 16 says, but Ruth replied... Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, look, listen. Wherever you go, I will go. Who, wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That's a relationship that we're going to study all morning. 
I want you to pay attention because there's some lessons we learn from this story. The first lesson we learn from this story is every relationship is not meant to last. Orpah, Ruth, both daughter-in-laws, both connected to Naomi in the same relationship. But Orpah, when presented with the opportunity to leave, she kissed her mother-in-law and she left. That's a mother and daughter, by the way. That's why I called them up here that way. Every relationship's not meant to last. Orpah said, I'm not going into your new season with you. So I'm going to stay where I am. And you're going to move forward without me. Every relationship that you have on one level can't handle the next level. Every relationship that is made and established and birthed in one area and arena of your life cannot handle where God may be taking you. So Orpah was a goer. Ruth was a stayer. She speaks the language of covenant. She said, wherever you go, I go. Your people will become my people. Your God will be my God. If you're going higher, I'm going to follow you. If you're going to get out of a mess, I'm going to go with you. But if you find yourself in a mess, you won't be there by yourself because I will be beside you. So every person that you have in your life right now may be there for a chapter, but not for the whole book. Every relationship is not built to last. Thank you, ladies. So the Bible says that she kissed both of her daughter-in-laws, but Ruth didn't leave. You need to understand that you're going to encounter both kind of relationships in your life. You're going to have people that are goers and people that are stayers. And you need to learn how to kiss them when they come and kiss them when they go. You need to be able to kiss and bless those that stay and kiss and bless those that leave because they both did what they came to do. Because God sends people to us for specific seasons and specific reasons. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer to it than a brother. That same verse in a different translation says this. There are friends who destroy each other. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody have some friends like that in your life? But real friends sticks closer than a brother. So depending on what Bible translation you have, you'll find out that a man who has friends has to be friendly, and there are friendships that hurt, they injure, they wound each other. But it doesn't matter which translation you're working through, you're going to find out that both of them says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that means that there are people that have so much loyalty towards you that no matter what you do, and no matter what you say, they will love you. They will be there. They will help. They will assist because they stick closer than a brother. And the difference between it is one word, and that word is covenant. You say, Pastor, what's covenant? Well, I'm glad you asked because I realize this generation don't understand covenant. 
Covenant means two or more parties who come together to make a contract. Agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. I wish I had time. I could teach for three weeks lessons on just covenant. I only have time to give you the definition this morning because I have to move on. But covenant in the Old Testament especially was very particular because it was very serious. God told man to make covenant because God made covenant with man. Orpah had a relationship with Naomi. Say yes. But Ruth had a covenant. One stayed, the other left. One had a relationship, the other made a covenant. Look at what Ruth says. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That is covenant language. If you're wondering what covenant looks like, that's it. So that's the first lesson we learn. The second lesson that we learn from Ruth is once you pick a who, you also pick a where. Because people in your life are taking you places. Where you go to college is an, an important decision. But who you hang out with when you get there is even more important. Where you work is an important decision. But when you work with the wrong people, they can make the best job miserable. Because people are taking you somewhere. And you need to ask yourself and do a little bit of evaluation sometimes. Are the people you're surrounded with going where you're trying to get to? Because if they're not headed the direction where you're trying to get your life, why are you in covenant with those folks? Because real covenant friendship thrives in sacrifice. Let me, let me give it to you like this. You can give without love, but there is no way you can love without giving. So, so I can get you to give and you not really love the act of giving or the object of giving, but if you love something, you will give yourself to it. So be careful who you love because you can't love somebody and not give. Y'all not going to help me. Let me give you the different levels of relationships or the different levels of friendships. The first level is an acquaintance, okay? This is somebody that you, uh, it's a result of your circumstances. You happen to be in the same place at the same time. Maybe your kids play sports together. Maybe you're on the same PTA. Maybe you work with this person. Maybe you live next door or on the same street, but you don't hang out with these people. You see them and you're like, hey, Bill, hey, Tom. Uh, you, maybe you talk about the weather. Maybe you talk about whether uh, that you, they like Chevrolet or Ford. But, but you don't have deep relationships with them. You can't bring your burdens to these people. The next level is a friend. You say, Pastor, shouldn't that be the best level? No. F friends are, are people you've got things in common with, but you're not really intimate with them. Guys, you catch me. Because... We'll have all kinds of friends, and none of them really know who we are. Oh, they know who you are when you're watching the Steeler game. They know you're emotional. They know you're irrational. They know you're a hothead. They know you're liable to break their TV. But you don't talk to your friends about your marriage problems. You don't talk to your friends about your feelings of inadequacy. 
Because they, they don't garner that kind of trust. You don't have that kind of bond with just a friend. The next level is the best friend. The BFFs. These are the people you choose. These are the people that you let in by choice. And can I tell you a little secret? This can't be every person you meet. Because that relationship requires too much energy. And you don't have that much energy to give to every single relationship. So, so you can't be best friends with everybody that you meet. Do, do you realize now as an adult, and especially as a parent, do you realize now why your parents freaked out by who you hung out with? Because they knew what you are finding out. Your friends take you places. People are like elevators. They're either taking you up or they're taking you down. And the people that you yoke yourself together with, the people that you covenant with, the people that you give yourself to are taking you somewhere. They are matriculating down a street and you are along for the ride. People are in prison today because they picked the wrong friends. Young women have contacted STDs and will never be able to have children because she had the wrong friends. You can pick the wrong friends and it affects you for the rest of your life. You don't believe me? Let me give you a word. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. See, without the right voices, you will make the wrong choices. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So you can be trying to do all the good habits in your life, but if you're hanging out with the wrong company, you having yourself disciplined will go off the rails because of the company you keep. Proverbs 12 and 26 says, The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. So who I allow into my life will directly influence the quality and the direction of my life. It's like the law of gravity. It's irrefutable. The people that you hang out with are either going to do good for you or do you harm. People can be your worst detriment or your greatest asset. In the Gospel of Mark, there's four men who had a friend who was paralyzed, and they wanted to bring that friend to Jesus because they felt like if they could get their friend to Jesus, Jesus might be able to help him. So they carried that brother on a mat. Have you ever carried a human? I'm not talking about that first grader of yours. I'm talking about a full-grown whole man. They put him on a mat, and they carried him. We have no idea how far they had to walk. We have no idea what this brother weighed. We don't know the distance that they had to travel. Some of you won't pick your friend up in a minivan. And they picked this brother up on a mat and carried him to the house where Jesus was, and they get to the house, and they find out the house is full. And they said, I did not bring you this far. To quit at the first sign of resistance. Just because there's a closed door in my, my God in heaven. I have carried you this far. I'm not about to quit just because there is a door shut in my way. They climbed on the roof. They started ripping the roof off and lowered this brother down to the feet of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Who do you care enough about to carry? 
Do you care enough about the person that you said I do to, to carry them? Because there's going to be some seasons where you're going to have to carry them and some seasons where they're going to have to carry you. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes you're going to feel weak need. And sometimes you're going to feel like you need some help. And sometimes life is going to hit them so hard that they're going to depend on you to cover them and carry them and have patience with them. But Mark says this. When Mark, Mark says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now that's not what I expected. He said, Jesus saw the friend's faith. I would have expected the word to say when Jesus saw his faith. But the Bible doesn't even say the brother had any faith. What it said was, because they had enough faith, this brother got healed. So so the man may not even have had his own faith, but he had some friends that said, until we get you all the way to the feet of Jesus, we won't quit carrying you. And I don't have time to get into it, but Paul says marriage is like that sometimes. Hello? Sometimes they need you to cover them, and sometimes they need you to carry them, and sometimes they just need you to put up with them. Sometimes they need you to give them a little extra grace. Sometimes you need to believe the best about them instead of talking down about them. Sometimes they need you to be patient. Sometimes they need you to speak something over them that they don't even believe about themselves. And Some of y'all are tired from carrying somebody. You feel like you're doing all the lifting. And maybe you can't carry somebody forever, but can I help you? Where would you be if God had dropped you when you got too heavy to carry? Where would you be if God, the first time you became inconvenient to Him, He decided to just drop you? Because we, we ultimately take on the ways of those that we are closest to. That's what makes toxic and dysfunctional relationships so, so dangerous. It's not just the physical harm that can come. It's when they lash out at you, you may be as patient as Job, but eventually... They will find the right button, and you will start acting like your abuser. It's quiet in this mortuary this morning. You don't believe me. John 15 and 14, Jesus said this, You will know if you're my friend if you obey me. You know what Jesus was saying? He said, if you hang around me long enough, my ways are going to rub off on you. You're going to act like me. I will mark you with what I say. You'll start repeating me. So in other words, you need to be careful who you let in. Because whoever you let in and speaks into your life makes a mark on you, rubs off on you. Which leads us to the third and final lesson. You say, we're almost done. No, we're not. Because this third lesson is a long one. The third and final lesson that Ruth teaches us is once you say yes to someone, you are saying yes to something. When you say yes to a relationship, you're saying more, yes to more than just a person. You're saying yes to everything that goes along with that person. Let me help you. You're not convinced. I've known men, whole grown men, with mustaches and beards, that wants to say yes to that cutie, but wants to say no to their family. Brothers, You are saying yes to a potential mother-in-law. Hmm. If she's got kids when you met her, you cannot have her and not get them. 
It is a package deal. I don't care if they're whole grown kids. If they're full grown adults. They are part of her life. And when you say yes to her, you are also saying yes. Oh, it's quiet in here. Know what you're saying yes to. Ladies, you're saying yes to all of his crazy friends. When you say yes to him, you're saying yes to every single nut on his whole crazy family tree. So, so choose wisely, y'all, okay? If they have baggage, you cannot say yes to them, but no to the baggage. When you say yes to them, you are agreeing to help them carry that mess. If they're $100,000 in debt and you say, I do, guess who's got $100,000 in debt? You, congratulations. If they're an addict, don't think you can just fix them because you marry them. That's baggage and you're going to have to deal with it. If they have anger issues, don't think they'll grow out of it. That's a baggage that you're going to have to deal with. If they're constantly between jobs, either learn to work and like it while he's playing video games, but don't complain once you bought the package that you don't like what the installation came with. You knew it when you said yes. Ah. And after you say yes to them, you're also saying yes to the stuff they do. And if it's stuff that you don't do, but you're saying yes to them, don't be surprised when you start doing the stuff. If all they do is lay around and smoke weed all day, don't be I know you don't right now, but you can't say yes to someone without saying yes to something. Because why? Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. What you do, I will. Y'all not helping me. Be careful who you make covenants with. That's why when you stand in front of me and I say, do you, do you take this person to have and to hold from this day forward in sickness and in health? No, all you ever hear is health, 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 health. In poverty and wealth, yet poverty just goes through one ear and out the other. Y'all don't even think about it. Am I going to love them if we broke? If I'm going to love them if they're in the ICU? Till death? Death? You're standing in front of me. You're 22 years old. Death is a long way away. Be careful what you sign up for. Because that covenant says till death do us part. And by the way, this works the other direction too. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you're not just saying yes to someone. You're saying yes to something. You're saying yes to a new life. You're saying yes to a new way of thinking. You're saying yes to a new way of doing things. Now I'm talking about marriage. Somebody say marriage. I'm not talking about dating. Because you're not until you say I do. And then when you say I do, you're done. So until you say I do, you have options. Because some of y'all will hear me preach on this and you'll say, Oh, I guess I got to go get back with Billy again. No. 
No, no, no. You let sleeping dogs lie. No, 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 no. No, I'm not telling you to go back and hook back up with Billy again because, see, in marriage, it is death do us part. In marriage. In dating, there's another option. It's called, called scroll, select, delete. You can just get rid of that number because after marriage, you don't have that option if the Bible is right. Now, if the culture is right, you can just do whatever you want to. But if God is right, and God, God's way be true, which I think we should probably consider is a good idea, then it's death do us part. So, so what you have to do is you have to identify what your relationship actually is. And, and here's why. You derail your purpose by treating something that is supposed to be casual like it's a covenant. That is a whole lot of good preaching right there. Okay, what, what do you mean, Pastor? A covenant is a deeper level of intimacy because there is a deeper level of responsibility. Do you love me? Say, I love you, Pastor. Okay, y'all love me. That's cute. And we up to about 300 folks to come to church here on Sunday mornings. And y'all love me. That's, that's fine. I'm glad y'all love me. I love you too. But there is one, count them, one person in this room going to wash my stinking socks when this service is over. One, All y'all that love me ain't lining up. Let me get them stinking socks off of you, Pastor. I'm going to go, no, no, no. Because you love me, but there is a limit to your love. Because we don't have a covenant. We're in a relationship, you and I. And, and your love for me has a limit. And stinking socks is probably over that limit. Like, I don't want my underwear to take home and wash. My wife is the only person that I have a covenant with. She has a covenant with me, and she's the only one that's going to handle my stinking socks when I am done preaching this message. Because when you have a covenant, you have different responsibilities. And the problem with this generation is we treat casual like covenant. And we give covenant benefits to something that's supposed to stay casual. And then we wonder why we heart broke. We wonder why nothing lasts. Holy Ghost is fighting me. Why would he buy the cat? If he can get the milk for free. Okay? So, so you shouldn't give covenant benefits to somebody who's only willing to reach casual status. That's where we get in trouble in our relationships. Marriage is more than a relationship. It is a covenant. And we used to, we used to understand that. In this, gen, in, in this generation, we have no idea what the difference is between a covenant and a contract. We treat marriage in this generation like it's a contract. And a contract is built on mutual distrust. When you go in to buy a new car, they don't trust you. They make you sign a contract that says you're going to pay for this, and when you stop paying for it, we're going to come get it. Because we don't trust. They won't even sell you cell phone service anymore without you signing in a pint of your first child's blood an agreement to stay with, that, with AT&T for at least three years. And if you break that three-year lease, they're going to charge you to the end because they don't trust you to pay your bills. That's a contract. 
And a lot of people get married with a contract instead of a covenant. Contracts are built so I can find loopholes and a way out. Okay? But marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. People don't covenant anymore. People hook up. People shack up. It's quiet in this mortuary. I told you. I told you. Some of y'all are going to be like in a year from now. Pastor, I should have listened to you. People, people don't covenant anymore. They try things out. And, and lives are torn apart when covenant becomes casual. But if we're relationships is going to make it, we're going to have to learn what covenant is. And sometimes covenant will be inconvenient. Can I hear an amen from all the married folks? Covenant's not always convenient. And I got news for you. You are here today because God made a covenant. And I got more news for you. That covenant he made with you has been pretty inconvenient at times. Because you haven't always been as cute as you are sitting in this sanctuary this morning. There has been times that you have spit in the face of God, done exactly what He told you not to do, but because He had a covenant to keep, He did what He wanted to do to love you anyway. It was not convenient for Jesus to be born in a barn, but He had a covenant to keep. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to heal the very people who would, who would try to throw him off of a cliff, but he had a covenant to keep. It was not convenient for him to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane until his blood became as great, uh, his sweat became as great drops of blood, but he had a covenant to keep. And it surely was not convenient for him to lay down and allow them to nail him to a cross where they hung him high and stretched him wide, but he had a covenant to keep. And when you make covenant, it is to death do us part so stop crossing covenant lines with casual folk married people say well pastor I just don't love them anymore we talked in the first week of this series about the four kinds of love love, right there's four kinds of love the greatest of these is agape three of the kind of love is the kind of love you feel Oh, he just makes my heart go pitter-patter. She's so fine. Look how cute she is. But agape is covenant. And you don't feel agape. Agape produces feelings. Feelings don't produce agape. In other words, when you lose feelings, you still hang on to covenant. This is the least popular sermon I've preached in nine years. You can fall out of feelings, but you should never fall out of covenant. People say, I fell out of love. No, you fell out of feelings. Because you have a covenant, and you keep covenant whether you feel it or not. I know I have a vow to keep. I know I have a vow to keep. And some of you are having to keep that vow you made. When you stood in front of a preacher, they said, for better or for worse. Welcome to the worst part. <laughs> you can't greet a half of a covenant, honey. You got the whole enchilada. When, de- when you said for better and for worse, welcome to the worst. And you have a vow to keep. Some of you are wearing yourselves out because you are right now handling the in sickness vow. 
You're having to take care of somebody that is in that in sickness part. A lot of people tolerate marriage. They don't celebrate it. And this is where it gets off the rails. Because if you get married because of emotions, cute. Oh, I just love the way his eyes sparkle in the moonlight. If that's what it takes to get you married, you'll get married a hundred times. Because there is no marriage that can keep you on a consistent high. He might be fine today. Somebody asked me one time what the difference was between preaching weddings and funerals. I was preparing a minister for, for ministry, and they said, what's the difference between preaching a wedding and a funeral? And I said, well, it's primarily two things. One is, at a funeral, they start out crying and eventually get better. In a wedding, they start out happy and the crying comes later. And the second thing is, everybody I've buried has stayed that way. Yeah, so that's the two differences. Some people get married, and what they celebrated becomes a a source of frustration. Celebration becomes frustration. Let me give you an example of this. When you start a relationship with a person, especially a romantic relationship, you celebrate everything about them. Oh, you celebrate, and you know what you celebrate? You celebrate the stuff that's not like you. That's where we get that term. Opposites what? What? Uh Uh-huh. How many of you know that pretty soon opposites attract? It'll be the opposites that you attack. Uh Uh-huh. It don't take long because what you celebrated in one stage gets on your last nerve. Years later, because you say, oh, I just love him because he is so funny. He just cracks jokes all the time. Oh, he makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. Three years into the marriage, you're like, don't you ever take anything serious. Your juggler vein is popping out. You've got one in the middle of your forehead, and you're ready to choke the life out of them. I thought it was cute. I thought his sense of humor made you smile. No celebration will become frustration. And the whole wedding ceremony is a celebration. You ever notice what the wedding celebration looks like? You make all your friends dress up like you. And stand there. (laughs) All dressed the same like it was uh, Catholic school in the third grade. And they're all just there to celebrate you and support you. And all of this happens... Listen, when you date wrong, before you get married, you have options. You need to learn. First of all, if you're a missionary, go to Africa. But don't try missionary dating. Dating is not a missionary field. In other words, you should not be dating people with the hopes of getting them saved. Okay, if they are not in love with Jesus... They're off the list. And here's why. There are some problems that's going to keep you out of covenant. Let, let, me, let me break this down for you because it's not just about being unequally yoked. I know that's a scripture, but let me give it to you in practical terms. When you see them, you get butterflies, right? Oh, when I see him, I get butterflies. But eventually, them butterflies gets replaced by a different animal. 
And when you look at them, instead of butterflies, you see something, I don't know, like a donkey or something. And if you get into a relationship based on feelings, you're going to have to rely on feelings to keep that relationship going. And the problem with with feelings is this. They change a lot. Sometimes many times a day. Yeah. And if they don't understand your love for Jesus, they won't understand you. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand who is the most important influence in your life. If they don't understand Jesus, they won't understand why you can say no to a man who can touch you because of a man that you can't even see. They won't understand, why, why won't you cross this line? Why won't you do this for me? Why won't you give me this part of yourself? And you say, nuh-uh, because Jesus said no. And if they don't understand Jesus and his word, then they will try to push your limits because they are carnal and you are spiritual, my God in heaven. And how will you know? Pastor, they said they believe in God. That's nice. James said even the devils believe, but you shouldn't date one of them. (laughs) When you're single and lonely, you say stupid stuff. Like, I think we can make this work. And then add some children and a mortgage and relocate into a new town. And when the stress of life starts piling up on you and you say, well, the Bible says, and that person who don't believe in the Bible says, I don't believe in the Bible. Or you say this, I think we need to pray about it. And they say, I don't pray. Well, maybe we should go to the church and talk to the pastor. I don't do church. But once you're already in it, don't missionary date. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Division literally means two visions. And if one of you operates from the Word of God and the other one doesn't, you're beginning a marriage with division. And you can't hope to get a foundation laid for a house If you're still arguing over the blueprints. So you don't just need, and listen to me, you don't just need somebody who claims to love Jesus, claims to be a believer. You need somebody who agrees with you. Because anybody can say, oh yeah, I'm I'm a believer, which basically means I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not an atheist. But that doesn't mean that, how can two walk together unless they agree? You need somebody that agrees that his word is the predominant method that I'm going to use to make my decisions. I'm not going to go by feelings. I'm going to go by what thus saith the Lord. And if they don't agree with that, you're already on wrong territory. So while you're dating, you better figure out the reason that they ended up in your life. Well, it's because I'm cute. Yeah, I know. I know. But you need to understand, everybody that's in your life was either a God idea or a good idea. What's the difference? The extra O. If it's a God idea, it will work. If it's a good idea, you have to produce that other O. 
I can always tell whether I did something that was a God idea or a good idea because halfway through it I go, oh. I got to cough up that other O. You understand what I'm talking about? I thought I was supposed to buy that car and then the payments came and I went, oh. You thought the Lord wanted you to buy that house. And when the mortgage came due, you went, and after a year, they added all that other stuff on top, and the payment went, and you went, oh. You thought they were so cute, and you stalked their Facebook page, and you asked all their friends if they were real deal, and if they loved Jesus, and then after you met all 17 of their personalities, you said, oh. Uh-huh. That's the difference between a good idea and a God idea. They say love is blind, but honey, let me help you. Love is a covenant. Hormones are blind. There is a difference. Love is a covenant, and you need to know the difference. Now, sometimes love isn't all the way blind, but it is farsighted. Like, you get so close to a situation, you can't see what everybody else sees. And you tell them what a great guy is, and they're all like, you sure? She treats me so well, and all of your friends are like, does she now? When does that happen? Because all I ever see is how she belittles you and puts you down and talks about your mama, and y'all not going to help me. But Because love is farsighted. We get so close to a situation, we can't see the truth. So seeking love can leave you desperate. And desperate people are dumb. And desperation leads to heartaches. Mm-hmm. Desperation makes you a sucker for love. I should have, uh, I was going to have a sucker up here with some of y'all's faces on it. And I talked myself out of it. Desperation leads to rated R relationships. I don't have to go there in church. Desperation leads to overlooking red flags. I can fix him. Honey, you ain't a mechanic. And some guys are beyond fixing. We'll talk about that in a minute. And desperation leads to X's and no's. Uh-huh. And some of y'all know <laughs> what I'm talking about because some of you just go round and round and round and round. You go, you've dated the same guy 14 times, the same lady three times, and she got different color hair, and she gets her hair done in a different place, but it is the same female. She's got the same daddy issues. She's got the same hostile uh, attitude because you keep getting drawn to the thing that hurts you in the end. Some of you ladies need to raise your standard. Instead of looking for a guy with abs and a beard, you need to look for a guy with a J-O-B and a B-I-B-L-E. Okay. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got a word for you ladies. All you single ladies, I got a word for you. John 1 and 6. There was a man sent from God. There's a word for y'all. Because you need to wait for the one that's been sent from God. Because the fact is there are people in your life, whether you're looking for romance or friendship, There are people sent from God specifically for you. When God wants to bless you, He brings a person into your life. 
When the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy, he does the same thing. He brings a person. And you need to determine which person is there for the which reason. Uh-huh. Now, you need to learn how to create boundaries without building walls. This is where I'm going to, the rest of my sermon is going to relate around this subject. Boundaries provide protection. Walls insulate isolation. So you need to establish healthy boundaries. Because healthy boundaries can provide an environment for a healthy relationship to grow. If you don't have any boundaries, it almost ensures that your relationship will never enter covenant level. Because nobody had to earn their way into your life. They just showed up. And if nobody has to earn their way in because you had boundaries put up, they'll take advantage of your good nature. For some reason, people have the idea that being Christian means you're not supposed to have boundaries. Like it makes you mean or unchristlike if you refuse to let people walk all over you. But can I help you? Somebody should have told Jesus because Jesus had boundaries. Look at John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. Look at verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men for he knew what was in them. See, when you understand human nature... And you understand that people will say one thing out of their mouth but do something else with their actions. You will put up healthy boundaries. Because one thing you'll discover is that when you establish boundaries, you'll find out the ones that needed them because they won't like them. When you establish boundaries and somebody gets angry that you put boundaries up, you know they are the ones you needed to have boundaries about. You love Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus, you want to be more like Jesus, and you tell your friends you're no longer going to go hang out at the club on Saturday night, and they get mad at you because you're going to get up early in the morning and make it to the house of God, and they get upset with you, that's a boundary that you needed to establish, and now you know why. When somebody cannot have a discussion with you about anything without them blowing up and making a big ordeal and breaking things, you know that person needs boundaries. You've let them get too close to you because they feel too comfortable. And by the way, they've already showed you, you're not going to help me. It is not your responsibility how people respond to your boundaries. That's on them. But if you don't establish some boundaries, you're eventually going to get wounded. And here's the problem. When you get wounded, you get hurt, you get hurt, you get frustrated, and now you put up walls and you won't let nobody in. And you make new relationships pay for what the old ones did to you. Keep your heart guarded from some, but don't let your life get separated from all. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you've got to be best friends with people who continually hurt you. The Bible says we are to love and have patience for everyone, but we don't have to give everybody access to us. It's okay to love some folks from a distance. Do you want toxic people in your life? Say no. Three of you. Do you want toxic people in your life? No. But what happens when they have your same last name? Toxic people are not beyond help, but they are beyond your help. And you have to stop trying to solve their toxicity. This is going to get deep. Are you ready for me to go deep? 
They might need God to deliver them. They might need to go to treatment for their addiction. They might need to go to prison for their crimes. They might need to be homeless so they can change their behavior. But what they don't need is you trying to fix their toxicity. I'm going to give you a statement, and then I'm going to, uh, the rest of this sermon is going to be built around this statement. God builds pain into the process of disobedience. And He builds blessing into the process of obedience. There's a man in your Bible named Jacob who had a wrestling match with God. Wrestled all night. And when the, when the night was over, God touched his hip. And Jacob walked with a noticeable limp for the rest of his life. He gave him something that would never leave his life. Why? Because Jacob was not fit for where God was taking him. God wanted Jacob to be the lead for all the tribes of Israel. And Jacob was not fit for it. Jacob was a con artist. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. And God had to change Jacob. And in order for God to change Jacob, he had to give him some pain. I'm about to help some of you parents. Can I set you free in the name of Jesus? God used the battle to make Jacob what he was never going to be by himself. God used pain to change Jacob into a man of God. God will bring stuff out of pain that you don't currently possess. And it won't be easy and it won't be painless. Because sometimes hardship is a gift. I'm just going to talk to the parents for a minute. The times when I stopped getting in the way of my kids' pain was my gift to them. It was the gift that made them mature. It was the gift that made them grow up. Because as long as I stood in the way and kept intercepting the pain that God was sending, that was designing to be the change agent in their life, they're never going to change. Because it's difficult to change behavior when there's no consequences for behavior. Most of you know the story of us and my son. And for years, we struggled as parents and as pastors, as mom and dad. We struggled when he struggled. And I did not realize the truth until God showed me one night when I was broken. I had texted my overseer and I told him I needed to meet with him. I was going to resign. I couldn't carry that burden and that burden all at the same time. And I was fasting and I was praying and God came to me in my moment of prayer and He showed me why I was so tired. And I assumed that I was tired because I was fighting Jared and I was fighting the devil. And that's what I had assumed for years that I'm fighting the devil to save my son and I'm fighting my son because he's a knucklehead. 
And I realized in that moment of prayer that I wasn't fighting just my son. And I wasn't just fighting the devil. The word says that when I sow to the wind, I'm going to reap a whirlwind. That whirlwind is God's plan to change my life. So I will stop being careless with where I sow. I was standing between my son and God's whirlwind. I was trying to keep my son from feeling pain because what would a good dad do? And I didn't realize that I was so exhausted and so tired, not because I couldn't defeat the devil, not because I couldn't get over my son's pain, but because I was fighting God and I'm not going to win that fight. I was doing all the hard work that Jared would not do. I was doing the fasting, I was doing the praying, I was doing the fighting. And I was fighting God. And when I finally took my hands off and let God have His way, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing in our life that's ever been as painful as watching our son be homeless. And refusing to bail him out. Because I had bailed him out of jail. I had paid his bills in his house. I had kept the lights on there. I had done all the physical work. All of the emotional distress. I had done it all. Because what's a father supposed to do? And to watch him fall. And not just fall, but fall all the way. When I could have helped. But I knew I couldn't. It was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. But next month. My wife and I are going to Cleveland, Tennessee to watch our son graduate from the program that he was sent to a year ago. And before that, I guess I'm going to have to get a U-Haul and go down to Fayetteville and pack his wife and his baby up and move them down there because they're getting a place to live and God has restored the marriage and brought them back together. And I couldn't spend enough money to do it. And I couldn't fight with him enough to get him straight. I had to let God have his way. I had a covenant with God. And I had to trust it above my paternal instincts. Jesus had a close circle. He had 12 disciples. And of those 12 disciples, and I ask you which one was his friend and which one was his enemy, some of you would say Peter was his friend and his enemy is very obvious, Judas. However, Judas sold Jesus out. Judas is the reason he got crucified. And Jesus called Judas my friend. Peter when he heard Jesus say, they're going to come and take me away and they're going to kill me, Peter said, they ain't going to do it on my watch. And he took out a sword and he cut off Malchus's ear. He said, if they try to kill you, they're going to have to kill me. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, devil. Wait a minute, the one sticking up for Jesus is the one Jesus called the devil. And the one sticking a knife in his back is the one he called friend. You know why? You know, do, do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. The reason why was because Jesus came to be crucified. The plan for his existence was for him to be crucified. 
And Peter was trying to stand in the way of what God was trying to do in Jesus' life. And only a devil tries to keep you away from God's plan for your life. And he called Judas a friend because Judas was the one that propelled it all forward. Some of you need delivered from bad relationships. And I'm not just talking about the one you're in right now. I'm talking about the ones that you've came through. Because you're carrying baggage from 2008. And you don't know how to deal with it because you never did deal with it. Tough. Yeah, you're tough. That's why you've had four flame outs since then. Your relationship status has changed to I'm in love 19 times and I've only known you four months. In a relationship, single. In a relationship, single. In a relationship, it's complicated, single. What's wrong with me? Yeah, right, right. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you is you keep attracting the wrong people because you're giving covenant benefits to people that are supposed to be casual. They're not as committed to you as you are to them. So we're going to do something real real easy and real simple and I'm not going to drag this thing out I'm just going to call for you to come if you need to come and pray because listen pain has a purpose and the reason you have been going through what you've been going through is because God does have a relationship for you he absolutely has friendships godly friendships he's got godly uh, marriages if that's what you seek God says if, if a man seeks a wife he seeks a good thing so, 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 so please understand, if that's what you want, God's got a good one for you. If you want friends, God's got good friends for you. But you need to get out of you some of this stuff that you've been holding on to pain for a long time. Pain has a purpose. It's to teach us a lesson. It's to propel us forward. But some of you are holding on to pain, and you keep regurgitating the same, the same relationships up and over and over and over again. You're sitting here this morning, and you're feeling alone. You're feeling abandoned. Maybe you're already married, but you don't feel engaged in that marriage. People are already coming. Don't wait. Don't wait. Get on up here. Prayer team, if you want to come. Staff, if you want to come and help them pray. There's people coming from all over. Yeah, God's got good relationships. He, he, he takes pleasure in you having good, godly, healthy relationships. Yes, He does. He wants you to be happy. Do you know that God likes it when you're happy? I love it when my kids are happy. I love to see my kids smile. Don't you think God wants that for you? He don't want you to compromise. But some of you need to let go of the pain. God, right now, in the name of your son, Jesus, I'm praying over these that are in this altar this morning that the pain that they have felt through the years will give way to the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Pain has had a purpose, and they have learned their lesson, God. And right now, I'm praying that you're going to send godly relationships, covenant relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whatever it is, God, but it's going to protect them. It's going to encourage them. It's going to strengthen them. They're going to be stronger because two, a, a, a cord of three cannot be easily broken, and you, them, and and whoever you send into their life is a cord of three. Give them strength, God. Release the pain out of their life. Cause them to be encouraged in you this morning. Lift them up. And give them what they need. In the mighty name of Jesus. Do I got any more prayer team members here?